Hi, my name is Lori McDaniel, and my husband is the pastor at Grace Point Church, and it has been super awesome to be able to gather together again off and on um, in face and in person. Today we're online, but next Sunday we're going to begin meeting again in person. And so we would love to know that you're coming. So simply just text one word relaunch and text it to the number 97000. We would love to see you in person. But until then, today we are online and Mike has asked me if I would wrap up a series of messages that we have been doing called Love Better. Uh, through that, we have been just really going through scripture and discovering what it means, like things like how do we love our neighbor better and who is our neighbor? And so when that question, who's my neighbor, was asked by a lawyer to Jesus, Jesus tells this surprising story that at the end of the story, we see that the neighbor was this guy who was going somewhere. And so on his way, there was a man in his way and he went out of his way to meet the need of that man. And we are to model that. We have explored a really tough subject like what does it mean to love your enemies? And I think Jesus understood our heart at the very core because he said, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I'm going to re rewrite the script. He says, love your enemies. Do good and pray for those who persecute you. And then last week we explored what it means in scripture to love people diverse, who are different than we are. And I was a little bit convicted and even surprised that there was one scripture, and I can't even sugarcoat it for you. I just have to say it like it is in black and white print where it says discrimination is sin. And we begin to learn and understand in God's word that if we are in a posture of self-protection, that there would be no intimate connection between us and other people. And so today, here's what we're exploring. We're exploring how do we love people that are distanced from us, okay? Not socially distanced like six feet away, but geographically distanced as in 6,000 miles away. And when Mike asked me to teach this specific message, I kind of laughed on the inside because I feel like, like if I'm going to teach, if he's going to ask me to teach, it's usually about the nations. It's usually about God's glory among all people. And I thought about it. I thought, well, why not? Like that's absolutely my favorite thing to teach. But you need to know this, that it hasn't always been that way. That I grew up in church, and I was taught about missions. My parents even took me every Wednesday night, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, to this missions class where you could do these activities and earn a badge. And I have to confess that not one time did I earn a badge and get to go to the ceremony. So, yeah, like I'm the one that flunked missions class in the fourth grade, okay? So you can imagine what it was like after Mike and I got married. And Mike went on his first mission trip overseas. He went to the country of Ukraine. Communism had just crumbled. And people were hearing the truth of Jesus Christ, hearing the message from the gospel for the very first time. And they wanted to hear more. And they were like fruit falling off a tree, choosing to follow Jesus Christ. So when Mike comes back home and he's sitting on our pink and green plaid couch. Yes, I know. But it's like 25 years ago. So, you know love the couch, okay? And I'm sitting there and I am listening to him tell stories as tears are rolling down his face. And then my husband says this to me, Lori, I think that God may be calling our family to live overseas. And I sat there watching the passion and the burden on my husband's face and I'm holding our three-month-old firstborn child. And I didn't say it out loud, but these were the thoughts in my head. You'll get over it. Like, 
I know, babe, like, let's just calm down a little bit. Like, let's wash the clothes. Let's unpack the suitcase. Let's eat some good fried American food, and life will go back to normal, and you'll come back down to earth. That was the thought that was in my head. But as I began over the next year, actually the next two years, and I began to grow in reading God's word and understanding his love for me and growing in the knowledge of his word and seeing page after page the love, the uncontained, uncontainable love that God had for people around the world, I began to see that God had a heartbeat for all people in all nations, and I wanted to live my life like that. Mike and I ended up going as missionaries to Zambia, Africa, but I will tell you this straight up. It wasn't because we had this natural love for people way over there that we hadn't met. It was because of one reason. It was because we had this deep love for God whom these people needed to meet. We were compelled by the love of Christ to take the gospel to people who had never heard it. So here's the question I invite you today is how do we live here and love people way over there. And you may be thinking, because it's missions meshes, and I'm talking to those who, like, you've been on a mission trip, maybe you want to relocate your home. I'm actually talking to everyone else. The majority of us who probably will live the rest of our lives in America. Like, how do we live our lives here and love people that are over there? Well, to dig into this, what I've done is I've invited some of my friends um, if you've traveled overseas, you might recognize some of their faces. There are people that we, as Grace Point Church, um, that we partner with, and I've asked them to read the text and read the scripture for us this morning. Devasi, I'm going to read uh, from Book of Romans, chapter 15, the whole chapter. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May God who gives us who gives you this, uh, this patience and encouragement helps you live in complete harmony with uh, each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you 
completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work of God, of God. for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken of in the scripture, where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now, having no more place in this part, and having a great desire, be many years to come up to you. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I hope to see you while passing through, and I have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owed it to them. For if the gentle has been made partakers of their spiritual sins, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have seen to them this good, I will come by you into Spain, and I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come into the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. 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 Amen.
I love to hear the Bible read in other languages, but even by people on other continents. I want to thank my friends for being incredibly gracious to take the scriptures and read them to us in English so that we could hear them and understand them. So as we kind of venture into what does the word say about how we are to love better people that live over there, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the scripture that our friends just read to us. This chapter in the book of Romans, chapter 15, you need to know this, that it's like at the tail end of a letter. There are 16 chapters in the book of Romans, and so really what we are at is we're at the end of this letter that Paul is writing to this people that he longs to see. He has never been with. There are a few people there that he knows, like Aquila and Priscilla, who he said stuck their neck out for him. Um, A few other people who he had been imprisoned with because of sharing the gospel. But he longs to see this church. Well, as we look at it, what we're going to see is he's telling them, he's telling us how we can live our lives to better love people over there, people who are distanced from us. But here's what he's going to do. He's going to start local. Like he's going to start with the immediate. And here's how we're going to unpack it. We're not going to unpack it like verse by verse, but we're going to unpack it what I'm going to call chunk by chunk. And here's the summary of the first chunk. In your diversity, live in harmony. Like have you, have you ever considered that perhaps in our diversity, in our humanity, that God did it on purpose to display his creativity. Like God intended for diversity to exist so that it would proclaim his creativity as a God. Well, as Paul is writing this church in Rome, he knows that there's division in this church. There's a group of Jews who have come to follow Jesus Christ, and there's a a group of uh, Gentiles who have become followers of Jesus Christ. And each of them come from different backgrounds. So if we were to back up to chapter 14, the entire chapter is about this. It's about, can we eat this meat or should we abstain from this meat? Should we observe, celebrate this day, or should we not? So it's just like every other day. We don't need to celebrate this day. And so he is writing to them, understanding the tension that they are feeling. And he simply says this. He says, welcome one another without quarreling over opinions. Let the one who eats honor the Lord, and let the one who abstains honor the Lord. Let the one who observes the day do so honoring the Lord, and the one who doesn't observe the day do so honoring the Lord. Why? Because we no longer live for ourselves. And so when he begins to pick up, or where we're reading and picking up in chapter 15, he addresses them. He says, hey, listen, those of you who are strong in the faith, you have an obligation to those who are weak in the faith. Basically, what he's saying is this. He's saying, look, those of you who are stronger, like, let Christ be your anchor. And don't reach down and, like, pull those weak alongside of you just so you have more on your party. Like, build up the weak because you were already strong in the faith. It says this in verse 2. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Not for our good, but for his good. Why? to build him up, for Christ did not please himself. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
after this, now remember, there's a flow here, okay? So he's kind of making this very local point, and now he's going to move from in your diversity, live in harmony, and he's going to move to the next chunk, which I'm just going to call know your part in the story. And what he begins to do as we move through these verses beginning in chapter 8 is he begins almost like this mission discourse. And what he is doing is he's going back and he's quoting scripture from the Old Testament. Now, you would think, like, if we talk about missions, we're going to go to our favorite New Testament verses, like, you know, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, or, you know, we're a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But Paul doesn't have the New Testament. Matter of fact, he's living as the New Testament is being written. So he's going back to the Old Testament to support his mission and what he is to be about and what the local church is to be about. He says this to them and he begins to quote scripture like in verse 9. It says this, it says, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing your name. Basically, what he is saying is this. Up in verse 8, he says, look, Christ came to the circumcised. Basically, the Jews, okay? And Christ came to fulfill the promise. What promise of the patriarchs? Well, those were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Christ came to do that, but not only that, it was told hundreds of years ago. And you are a part, church, of fulfilling that story, of completing what God has been doing from the very beginning. Church, you need to know this, that we have been set apart, and we are to know God's mission through the entire narrative of Scripture. It has been confirmed in the gospel. It has been given to the church. It has been sent out in all the world. We are a part of that. I'm a part of the church. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a part of the church. We are a part of God's mission, of this story, and we need to make his mission our ambition. We are set apart, and we as the church, yes, in our diversity, We live in harmony, but we also have to know our part in God's grand story. He goes on in the next chunk, and here's how I'm going to sum up the next chunk, is that we need to proclaim the gospel obediently. He says this in verse 15. He said, look, there are some things that I've written very boldly to you about, just as a way of reminder of the grace of God that's worked in me. But right before that, In verse 14, he affirms the church. He says this. He says, look, you are full of goodness. You are filled with knowledge. You are able to instruct one another. I have a friend. Some of you may know her. Her name is Patty, and she goes to our church. She has become one of my dearest friends. Her joy just overflows, and she's a part of of a Bible study where we're just going through the scriptures together, right? And the thing about it is this, is like in our group, Patty is one of the oldest ones, and yet she's one of the youngest believers. And so this is a statement that Patty will make sometimes when we're talking about getting into the word or we're talking about sharing the gospel. She will say this to us or to me. She'll say, I just feel like I'm out of my league. And when I read this, this is what I want to say to Patty or to anyone who feels like Patty, like I just don't, know enough. I don't have enough church experience enough. Like, I want to say this. I want to say what Paul said to the church in Rome. You are full of goodness. You are filled with knowledge, and you are able to instruct one another. Patty's belief in Jesus Christ 
is contagious to me. Like, she is running the race. And those of us who have grown tired and we're sitting on the sidelines, we need to look at some of these new believers and lace up our shoes, and we need to get into the race of proclaiming the gospel obediently. In verse 17, Paul says, In Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work. For I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. When I listen to Patty talk, like, that's what I hear ooze out of her. Like, everything is tethered to Jesus Christ in her. That Christ is at the epicenter. And Paul is saying, look, Christ is at the epicenter. And I'm proud, not in an arrogant kind of way, but I'm proud of everything that I have been able to be a part of because he is at the epicenter. Everything that happens out ripples out because of his work within me. And now he begins as he's like calling the church of Rome and saying, look, here's who you are. And look, here's the work that God has been doing in me. Matter of fact, he's been doing this work. Um, We see, he says, from Jerusalem all the way around into Illyricum. And so for like 10 to 15 years, Paul makes one journey. He makes a second journey and he makes a third journey. And now he's going to switch. And he's calling out this church because as he switches his ambition, he's inviting them to be part of this joint venture with him. Look in verse 20. He says, now my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. Why? You know what he does? He goes back again. He goes back to the Old Testament to find God's mission that will support his calling. And he quotes Isaiah 52, verse 15. He says, those who have never been told of him will see. Yeah. And those who have never heard of him will understand. Paul knew that he had an obligation to humanity, that he was in debt to people because they needed to know the gospel. They needed to hear the good news that would change their life for all eternity. And so he says, here's my ambition. I'm no longer going to continue on this circuit. I'm setting my eyes westward. westward. I'm heading to Spain. It probably will be more dangerous. It's going to be more pioneering. But you know what, Church of Rome? I want you to join with me. Look what it says in verse 24. He says this, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, don't miss it, and to be helped on my journey by you there. Church, we are to, in our diversity, live in harmony. We are to know our part in God's story. We need to be obedient about proclaiming the gospel, but we also, we need to give sacrificially. I love Paul's boldness as he says it here. He's saying, look, Partner with me. Look, let this aim be your aim. Join with me in this mission. And not only is he requesting it, but he like gives a real-time example. He says, look, I'm on this journey. In verse 26, if you look there, he said that he's going from Macedonia and Achaia because those churches there have been pleased to take up a contribution for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, let me give you context for this. Macedonia is like what we would call now that it would be on the European continent, okay? And the gospel went from Jerusalem, remember? So the Holy Spirit was going to come up on the people in Jerusalem, and the gospel was going to spread out from there. And so the gospel has spread to Macedonia. Well, there's been this famine taking place in Jerusalem, and the church on another continent hears about it. And they take up a collection, and they send it back with Paul to the base church back in Jerusalem to distribute to the poor. 
That would be like the equivalent of when we go partner overseas in Europe and the refugees who are coming from all places hear about people who have lost their jobs maybe because of COVID here. They take up a collection and they send it back to Grace Point Church for us to distribute it. He says this to them as a point of instruction to join, but he also says this to them as a point of inspiration. You want to love people better over there? Join me in the efforts and give sacrificially. But not only that, here's the other thing he says to them. He says, pray urgently. In verse 30, he says, I appeal to you. I beg you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. To, to strive in praying, like struggle in praying, fight in praying, wrestle in praying for him as he's taking the gospel and pioneering a new work where Christ has not been named. I think oftentimes we don't know how to pray for missionaries. We don't know how to pray for our brothers and sisters in other places. Let me, let me give you a few handles, and they're, they're really simple. In Romans 10, 1, Paul was talking about his own people in Jerusalem, his people, the local people. He says this. He said, my prayer for them is that they might be saved. So the very first thing you can pray is, God, save more, Romans 10, 1. The second thing that you can pray is this, is you can pray, God, open doors. In Colossians 4, 3, he said this. He said, pray for us that God would open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So God, save more. God, open doors. And the third one is God, send more. God, Jesus said himself, he said, look at the harvest. And he said, he didn't say go pick the harvest. He said this, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to labor in the harvest. So save more, God. Open doors, God. And send more, God. Let us be a church who we live our life here in a way that we are able to love people better over there. Let us be a church who we live our life here in such a way that it gets the gospel over there. I've been so disturbed since all of the COVID. I hear different people talk about, well, what is this going to do to our missions effort? I heard on a podcast, I heard one church leader basically say, I think maybe that this COVID is good for us because now maybe we'll focus more local than we will global. And can I just say, it is not local against global. It is God's mission to make his name known in all the earth. He's given that mission to the church and it has to be our aim. It has to be our ambition to take the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. But yet I found myself with an itch a little bit. Like I'm ready to go. I'm ready to travel. I'm ready to get out of here. God, what do you want me to, how can I participate in your mission? And I feel like God, like in my own heart, just like chipping off some rust and knocking off some places that had been calloused. And he's like, Lori, you know, you know that woman that when you were trekking through Nepal a year and a half ago, she was the only believer in her village, and she read the Bible to her Buddhist husband at night? Like, when's the last time you prayed for her? Or, Lori, you know, you know that woman in middle of nowhere, village Africa, who you guys gave a Bible to? But when her brother found out about it, he took it and burned it and beat her, and yet she came back for another one. Lori, like, are you pleading on behalf for her? What about the refugees? What about the people that I have put in your path so many times, the work that you've been part of? Lori, the praying. Lori, the giving. 
what point and at what part is it playing in my life right now? What about a couple from our church, Pete and Emily? They used to be members at our church. They are now living in Lebanon. They came back for a short time, but when the explosion happened, they went back. And right now, the family is on their way to Lebanon. And this is what they said in one one of their letters. Pete said this. He said, the devastation is so vast and the needs are so great. And it has been very challenging even to know where to begin. But he also said this. I have had the chance and more opportunities to share the gospel with many. They are entering back in. They're not running away from the front line. They are running toward the front line with their three kids. Yes, in the middle of political turmoil in the nation. Yes, in the middle of destruction. But for one purpose, to make his name and his glory known. Listen, church, there is, there is no political uncertainty. There is no moral ambiguity There is no human activity that can limit or constrain God's sovereignty and the spread of his name and his glory. The question is, is like, are we going to be a part of it? Are we going to live in harmony in the midst of our diversity? Are we going to like understand God's mission and know our part in the story? Are we going to proclaim the gospel obediently? Are we going to give sacrificially and are we going to pray fervently? I was um, on a trip to Kenya. It was my first overseas trip, and my sister was living in Tanzania, which borders just south of there. And so we had arranged for this little pedal jumper of a plane, prop plane, to take me into Tanzania. And so I get in there. I'm sitting in the cockpit with the pilot. I think it's the cockpit because there's no other place to sit. So we're just in a pit, okay? And the pilot, like, he has his his headphones on, and he's steering the plane. I have my headphones on and my microphone, and, like, everything I can see is, like, I am flying over Africa. Like, this is so cool. I feel like a cross between, like, Amelia Earhart and National Geographic, you know, photographer or something. I have my camera, and I can look out here, and I can just see this vast savanna and the plains. I can see smoke rising, you know, over there in the distance. I can see a little bit, you know, of some lakes over here. Over here, I can see where Maasai, where they put their huts, and they have like created this huge circle, this boma of all of these branches with huge thorns to keep the wildlife out and keep their family and their livestock safe. And I'm thinking, this is so awesome. And the pilot turns to me and he says this. He says, so do you get airsick? And my thought was, well, I don't think I get airsick. But what I said to him was, oh, absolutely not. I don't get airsick. And he says, I'll tell you what, we are flying over a game park. And there's a herd of elephants that I like to track whenever I'm flying over. But it means that we're going to have to take the plane a little bit lower. It's going to get hotter. It's going to get a little bit bumpier if you're okay with that. I'm like, absolutely, let's go. And so we begin to descend. And as we begin to descend, I'm like looking out for this herd of elephants. I've never seen this before. Like this would be so super awesome and so cool. And, And so as we're going along, we haven't seen anything yet, but I can feel the temperature in the plane like, begin to increase and begin to rise. And there were a few bumps, and pretty soon those few bumps began to, every time we hit one, felt like the bottom of the plane was completely falling out. And just about the time that I could feel my breakfast, like, rising up in my mouth, I'm going to grab a bag, and the pilot whips the plane on a hard right turn, and he says, there's the elephant's. And he just continues, I have my head down, I'm holding a bag. And he said, this is so awesome, there's about 35, this is the most I've ever seen. And at one point, I was looking out those windows, 
and I was seeing everything, the landscape, telescopically. But now all I'm doing is I am looking right here microscopically. And all I can do is think about myself. And the thought going through my mind is, what is the fastest, easiest way I can get myself off this plane? No longer do I care about the African landscape. No longer do I care about capturing that photo of the elephants. When we are in pain, all we can think about is pain, right? And when we're uncomfortable, all we can think about is how do we get comfortable again? And the difference is this, is my focus and my vision changed completely based upon my circumstances, where I was completely looking out with a telescopic lens, focused on everything out there. Now I'm looking microscopically within. And I believe that when we read in chapter 15 in Romans, he's saying, look, church, don't look microscopically at you. Yeah, I know you've got these differences, but be one with another. And you know what? Make it your ambition to look telescopically. Make it your ambition to look out beyond you. Chuck Swindoll says this, when churches take their eyes off the horizon, the inevitable result is what can be called a survival mentality. Rather than accomplishing the plans of God to redeem and transform his creation, they forget their reason for being, which begins a long, agonizing slide into irrelevance. Irrelevant churches fret over inconsequential matters. They nitpick their leaders. They criticize one another. They experiment with worldly, worldly strategies for growth, and they chase vain philosophies. Meanwhile, the surrounding communities or the nations hear little about Christ, and what they do hear is unattractive. Let me speak to you as an individual, and let me speak to you as Grace Point Church, and let me speak to you people listening that maybe you don't even go to church. Let our focus be, how do we live our life here in order to love people better over there. No, you may not have met them. No, you may not just have money overflowing out of your pockets to give sacrificially. No, you may not go. But by abs- is there no way that we can unify together and say it is our ambition to see Christ's name proclaimed where it has never been proclaimed? Let Christ's love compel us because it says in 2 Corinthians this, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and he died for all, Jesus Christ, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died for them and rose again. Church, let us define us. Let that love of Christ compel us, yes, to love our neighbor, yes, to love our enemies, Yes, to love those diverse from us, but also to love better those who live far away from us.